the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. It's good to see the whole team here. We've got uh, David Dahl uh, to my west, backed by a, a whole team. <laughs> it's nice to see everyone. I think even Rusty somewhere around here. Yeah, we got Richard. We got Rusty. We've got Mr. Bill to my uh, east. Uh, no, to my south today. And uh, for everyone else, 602-508-0960, 960 Looking at this latest Trump indictment, by the way, let me just say, I think I'm going to do two different monologues today, one this hour and one in the next on a different issue. Looking at this latest Trump indictment out of Georgia, words fail. I guess I'd start here. We've gone from lawfare and the use of law to change political outcomes and a politicized judiciary and judicial bench to the criminalization of being a Republican or the criminalization of conservatism. More on that in a moment. First, the details. I like how Scott Johnson rendered him. I will quote him. A Fulton County, Georgia grand jury handed up an indictment of President Trump and 18 other staffers and lawyers, including Mark Meadows, Jenna Ellis, Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, and Sidney Powell in in connection with the 2020 election. The sprawling indictment runs to 41 counts and 98 pages in all. 13 of the 41 counts charge Trump. A racketeering charge leads the indictment. Jonathan Turley comments, quote, District Attorney Fannie Willis appears to have elected to charge everything and everyone and let God sort them out. It's simply too much to absorb in one sitting. As an innocent bystander, I generally find it hard to take the indictment seriously. It's more of the same, only more so and worse. Our descent into third world disorder and chaos is picking up speed on the way down. The late hour of the district attorney's press conference last night put me in mind of George McGovern's speech accepting the nomination of the assembled multitude to, to hear the Democratic standard Richard against Richard, the standard bearer against Richard Nixon in 1972. You may recall that McGovern's theme was come home, America, it was the preface to an electoral wipeout. We can only hope that Miss Fanny's project suffers a similar fate one way or another. McGovern's theme was essentially isolationist. Come home, America. Now we indeed need to come home. We need to come home to a restoration of America. It could be a powerful theme. I hesitate to say that Fannie Willis and all the rest of the Trump prosecutors don't know the damage they are doing. They just don't care. That much, I can tell you. Okay. What we have here is a former president who, as president, had the full legal, never mind constitutional, right to consult with lawyers and advisors and press for investigations into election wrongdoing. Whether there was any or not is entirely beside the point. He had that right, just as almost every Democrat led by Al Gore had that right and did that in 2000, just as Barbara Boxer did it in 2004. He even had the right to question the results of elections in Georgia, just as Stacey Abrams has been doing for more years than Donald Trump was even president. She may be wrong, 
but she had the right. Hillary Clinton is wrong, but she has the right to say and to investigate her perception of shenanigans from 2016. Shenanigans she still blames on her loss that year. What is not right is this indictment comes as the former president is in the midst of an election, running in an election, to unseat the current president who is of the same political party as this Georgia district attorney. That's the story. As clearly as clearly as it can be stated, one has to plumb the depths of a thesaurus unknown to the usual spelunking to come up with the adjectives appropriate here. Were this Cuba or Venezuela or Nicaragua or Honduras, not an eyebrow would be raised. It might not even make the newspapers, for that is the coin of the realm, the ho-hum everyday practice in countries like that, once known as banana republics. To have the world's oldest, most powerful, and most important republic mimic the political legal contretemps and shenanigans of the likes of Honduras is an insult to bananas. In fact, I should say we are mimicking Honduras, except I want to say we are aping Honduras, just to extend the metaphor. Donald Trump was the breaker of norms, we were told. The Democrats were and are the party of normalcy. That's the slogan anyway, isn't it? Joe Biden may not have been lying when he told us he would restore norms and normalcy. He just didn't tell us it was a restoration of the norms and normalcy of Honduras. Election interference. Let's talk about that phrase for a moment. Suppressing the vote. Let's talk about that phrase for a moment. Donald Trump, under criminal indictment and running for president, will be asked about this. He may even want to talk about it. His lawyers may tell him he should not. Perhaps they will tell him he cannot, for anything he says could be incriminating. The judge may inform some form of a gag order on Donald Trump, preventing him from talking about it on the campaign trail, in the debates, or anywhere else. That is interference and suppression. And that interference and suppression is the bitter fruit of the poisonous tree that was planted, watered, and pruned by the Democrats here. Meanwhile, only last week, the Attorney General of the United States completely violated the law and the Code of Federal Regulations, appointing a special prosecutor to investigate Hunter Biden in a sham as the special prosecutor is not statutorily qualified to hold that position if he or she comes from within the Justice Department, which is exactly from where and whence David Weiss comes from. Normalcy. Normalcy. All of that, by the way, I believe is cause for impeachment of the Attorney General, actually. This all should come under the category of undue process. The title of Elliot Abrams' book, when he was prosecuted for the crime of committing foreign policy, which was the crime of committing politics. He warned in that book of the new political warfare where political differences have been turned into crimes. That is to say, political differences have been criminalized. Think on that for a moment. I was saying just yesterday we now live in a world where rightward thinking politically is not relative and is not legitimate and thus not subject to the norms of law and decency. Conservative thought as it is now called, is dangerous or extreme. It can even be labeled fascist, and so it must be banned or marginalized and criminalized. With reckless abandon, Republican or conservative positions and elected leaders aren't just wrong. They are intolerable and beyond the pale, untermenschen, below human. If you doubt the current culture of thought, political or otherwise, you aren't mistaken. You aren't debatable. You don't have a right to debate, not in a classroom, not on a campus, not in an election. You are not debatable. You are contemptible. Thus, a conservative judge at Stanford has no right to speak at Stanford. Thus, Riley Gaines has no right to speak at San Francisco State University. Indeed, assaulting and battering her will be justified. 
Thus, the Republican Party is the party of fascism and fear, as the head of the DNC routinely puts it. And thus, the former president, who has done less than what Hillary Clinton has done, and the same or possibly less than what the current president has done, is indicted, criminalized, and routinely so. He is not the legitimate leader of a legitimate opposition. He is the illegitimate leader of an illegitimate opposition. He is an illegitimate citizen because he is simply on the wrong side. We sometimes call this regime hierarchy here. I sometimes call it opinion and principle hierarchy. Quick cut to the chase. It's that we conservatives and we Republicans simply shall not exist. We are not to be considered part of legitimate political movement, organizing, speech, campaigning, electioneering, or governing. Quad licit lovi, non licit bovi is the Latin version William Buckley used to describe this phenomenon. What is permitted to the gods is not permitted to the cows or swine, and they are the gods and we are the swine. What the left and Democrats say and do, conservatives and Republicans may not say and do. We may not and would not, for example, sick a lawyer on a Supreme Court nominee and invent rape charges against him to scuttle his reputation and nomination. The left and the Democrats, no problem. We may not and would not take a rape allegation against a nominee to the Supreme Court and sit on it, hide it, conceal it, only then to publicize and launch it months later at the most convenient political moment to scuttle the nomination. The left and the Democrats, no problem. We would not attempt to impeach Nancy Pelosi for declaring our presidential election was hijacked and that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president, as she stated in 2017 and since. But if Donald Trump says something similar about an election he loses, he will be subject not only to impeachment, but charged with inciting a riot and indicted ad infinitum. This is to say nothing of Hillary Clinton, Jimmy Carter, numerous congressmen and reporter op-ed journalists saying the same thing, or Georgia's own Stacey Abrams. Donald Trump was banned and censored from Twitter. People who call for racial discrimination like Ibrahim Kendi, Leo Farrakhan, and the mullahs of Iran are not. Those last two refer to America as Satan and state their wishes that an ally be wiped off the map. Homosexuals as well. Riots over three months that led to billions of dollars of damage, fire bombings of courthouses, takeovers of police precincts, the loss of 30 lives, and over 14,000 arrests were mostly peaceful and will get U.S. senators, candidates for vice president, seeking donations to bail them out. An anarchist mob of several hundred causing no loss of life but one of their own shot in the back that lasts for seven hours, and they are tied to the entirety of the Republican Party as anti-democratic insurrectionists. And we can play this game for hours. Joel Pollack put it that Trump was impeached the first time because we were told he tried to have his leading opponent investigated. Now Biden and Garland and Democratic district attorneys are doing exactly that. And while Trump's suspicions of Biden's corruption were well-founded and have serious national security implications, Trump is being accused of misplacing documents and investigating a suspicious election. Indicting him for this will open a Pandora's box and unleash passions that will not easily be controlled. I don't know the way out. But the next time a Democrat says, just what kind of democracy do you think your party respects when they don't like our policies? I think the right response is something like, we respect the democracy and Republican form of government given to us by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and not the kind your party and movement has adopted from Honduras. It wasn't our team that used the FBI and CIA to suppress a major scandal the month before a presidential election about one of the candidates the FBI and CIA preferred. It wasn't our team that invented and paid for a four-year narrative of Russian collusion. 
And it wasn't any of those who did any of that who got indicted. The victim got indicted. Quad licit lovi non licit Job bovi. In his farewell address to the nation, George Washington said this, quote, The alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. But this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism. The disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual, and sooner or later, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty, close quote. And the Democrats like to say we have a republic if we can keep it. That's a laugh, Mrs. Robinson. That's a real laugh. That's a laugh, Mrs. Robinson. That's really a laugh. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero is the number. And uh, bear with us. We're working through just a few updates on our technology here. So as I uh, get my sea legs with it all, I'm going to ask for your patience. I think we got it. Robert, how are you, sir? I'm fine, sir. And uh, the only thing I find different is the beeping sound. There's a it's, beeping sound. When? Uh, well, it's. A deeper, richer, more meaningful sound when you press the button rather than the little high frequency. Oh, when I bring you on air, you hear a beep. Okay, I didn't yeah. even know there was a noise. Yeah. All right, good enough. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it was very musical. And, okay. And that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did you ever notice or does anybody ever notice, and whether it's social media or the news, uh, whenever a Democrat is talking about the country, they always use the term democracy. And yes. they never use the term constitutional republic. That's right. Yes. Um, what do you draw I, from I that? Well, I, I draw from that that they believe in majority rule mm-hmm. um, and not the system the way our system was set up for the Constitution with okay. electoral colleges and and uh, just the Constitution in general. Um, so... Uh, that that's my two cents worth on on that. Um, what do you draw from that? Well, I think I draw from it that they don't think very deeply about what they say in the first place any more than they think very deeply about what they do. I don't yeah. think they've thought very deeply about what these indictments are setting off, whether they're from the Department of Justice or whether they're from locals like in uh, Manhattan or in uh, Fulton County. I think they live for the day and live for the talking point. And uh, they engage in a, you know, just ever-repeating loop of whatever gets them through the news cycle to win that day's news cycle and that they forget about the long-term consequences, as Harry Reid did when he ended the filibuster and realize that mm-hmm. what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and that when it comes to breaking norms, I actually can't really think of one Donald Trump broke, but I'm looking at no. an awful lot the Democrats have, particularly with Joe Biden. Well, yeah. I don't and, know that they just think very deeply. I just don't. I mean, I, I, um, you know, I, I just find it, you know, when they're not denouncing the founding of this country or the founders of this country, they're quoting them. 
whatever's yeah. convenient, whatever whatever harbor is safe for them in any storm of usually their own making. Yeah, I I, I agree. They're reckless now, people. Yeah. You know, there's they a, are. there's a great line I was playing around with earlier today from um, from the Great Gatsby. Um, says they were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and creatures and then retreated back into their money or their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept them together and let other people clean up the mess they had made. Tom and well, Daisy are the Democrats. That's right. And uh, how appropriate is that? Yeah. Now, another thing that was mentioned um, yesterday, you, you brought up that University of Chicago study yeah. uh, that surveyed, you know, if, if Trump were elected, how many people would 30 million Americans violence? agreed with using violence to stop his election. Yeah. That's right. Now, I'm interested to know if they even looked at the other way around and if, say if, if uh, how many people would resort to violence if Biden were reelected. And I would suspect, I don't know if they did this or not, that because of our nature, uh, we would not... Uh, in the millions and tens of millions resort to violence. Um, I could be wrong, but it, it it sort of, again, displays that they don't think very deeply. They just think uh, Trump derangement syndrome is, is, I guess, the norm, and that they are willing to resort to violence if Trump, Trump is reelected. It could be a scare tactic. It could be something that uh, somebody had made up, and I don't know who the samples were. But, it was a pretty uh, big. Uh, it was a pretty. It's out of. It's a. It's a pretty big sample. Um, and I was just pulling it up as you were speaking. It's an ongoing series at Chicago. Chicago Projection on Security and Threats. You may want to check it out. University of Chicago Project and Security and Threats. And, uh-huh. and they have a series of publications. And I'll need to delve in a little deeper myself to look into them uh, for the answer yeah. to the question you're posing. Well, yeah, and I, I think it would make for an interesting comparative study of the differences between the way the two uh, ideological uh, foes think. Um, the, the final comment I had... Um, the, well, look at the violence they were willing to tolerate for uh, the year 2020. I mean... Well, exactly. You know, we... In, in, in Democrats... People I'd never they, heard of and you'd never heard of did a seven-hour cherivery in Washington, D.C., uh, sure. No loss of life. They went on a three-month rampage that killed thirty people. Yeah, exactly. And the vice and, president, and the, who is now your vice president, raised money to bail of some of those fourteen thousand arrested out. Yeah. Let me do this. Exactly. Let me let me grab a um, let me grab an interview uh, with uh, Brett Johnson on this indictment. And if you want to call back in the next hour, Rob, because I know we're we're cabining. Uh, this uh, was a short segment. If you want to call back and yeah. pursue this in the next, take a look at that University University of Chicago website, too. All right. Thanks, Rob. Brett Johnson will be right with us. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight to have Brett Johnson with us. He is a partner at Snell & Wilmer, a law firm based here in Phoenix, offices across the country. He is our Robert Jackson Scholar in Constitutional and Election Studies, earning (laughs) earning every bit of his salary (laughs) this year. Brett Johnson, how are you, sir? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Well, uh, we usually have you on Wednesdays, but uh, given the news from yesterday out of Georgia, I thought I'd break the glass, pull the lever, and give you a buzz. So thanks for being with us again. 
All right. So I, um, if my math is right, uh, former President Trump is now facing a total, a grand total of 91 felony counts between uh, the different uh, indictments against him. What do you make of what came out of Georgia yesterday, sir? You know, I, I like how you use the word different indictments, right? Yeah. Because the reality is is that they're not different uh, okay. in many cases. Okay. And that, that's, that's one of the concerns. Okay. And you've seen a lot of people talk about today is that the Georgia um, case is basically a, uh, not a, not a complete mirror, but very, very similar to what the special uh, counsel brought um, against President Trump and, and, and those six other yeah. um, uh, unindicted co-conspirators. Yeah. So in, in this context, there's just a lot of overlap. And, and I think that even some of the commentators, it, it really is a true thing, is where the state usually, um, I don't want to say back down, but defers to the federal court cases before they bring their own, so long as there's not a statute of limitations issue, which there isn't here. Mm-hmm. So, so it's really, really a mirror of what we saw. But again, very similar to what the special counsel um, uh, did, is that at least in the public statements from the special counsel, there were so many comments about the statements that were made by President Trump and his allies. Um, the, the actual indictment from Georgia just like doubles down on that in that it basically relies so many on public statements, tweet messages, as well as commentary between uh, President Trump and his lawyers. Mm-hmm. That is that is a very, very, very tough case to bring, and it's going to be open to scrutiny, whereas if he would have just concentrated on the acts, then you might be able to say, I, I see where she was going here. Mm-hmm. So it's just a concern all the way around. Yeah, right. I I take that. There was some speculation that some in Trump's, Donald Trump's inner circle, most particularly Mark Meadows, might have been turning over uh, to be witnesses against Trump to escape their own prosecution. Uh, that looks like not the case since he was. Uh, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you got something on that? No, no, no. no. So let me back up real quick, okay. right? And, and we've talked about this before. She brought a RICO charge. Yeah. And that's the. Uh, and, and basically, that's usually done with organized crime, yeah. um, you know, the mafia, gangs, drug dealers. And so bringing this type of case, and, and in a typical RICO case, this is exactly, we've talked about this on the show before, is yeah. that you take down different levels and you hope to turn those people as to basically cooperating witnesses or undyed co-conspirators against the people who are above you. And that's how you eventually get up to the mafia don. Right. So by, by uh, having so many people charged, especially over such a wide gambit of activities, I think what her, her at least strategy is, is that if I turn one or two, that's only going to help her case. Now, Mark Meadows is a difficult one, because when I read this, that's the one that made absolutely no sense oh, to me oh. of all of the indictments. Okay. So Mark Meadows, the two main things, just as a way of background for me, and I encourage, just as I've done before, go read the indictment right. for yourself. Uh, President Trump and all of the folks are, are presumed innocent and self uh, proven guilty. And then there's always a second or another side to the story. And this is just the, the opening salvo. So go read it. But on Mark Meadows, it doesn't even pass the, the, the first test. Uh-huh. So Mark Meadows got a phone number for the president of the United States. Happens every day. And then the second thing is, as the White House chief of staff, he sat in on a phone call that President Trump had with others. And I've actually listened to that tape. Mr. Meadows was not part of the conversation, although he was present. Mm-hmm. 
So to to and that's why I, I don't know if you you saw it, but um, uh, Mr. Meadows has has at least indicated he's going to be moving to remove these these charges yeah. to federal court, okay. and the reason most likely is because he was a federal government official uh-huh. while these were uh, ongoing, and that he would have some immunity as a federal government official acting in his capacity. So the Mark Meadows one just made absolutely no sense, and that just completely, if she really is not trying to do a political case. Um, it undermines the entirety of the case. So it's very, very strange. Okay, yeah. I mean, getting a phone number and participating in a phone call one wouldn't normally think is criminal behavior, especially if you're not a speaker on that phone call. Brett, this was a short segment. You can stay with us one more segment, if you don't mind, and we'll pick up on that. I want to talk to you a little bit about the use of RICO as well. Brett Johnson is our guest. He is a partner at the law firm of Snell & Wilmer. SWlaw.com is the website, and he and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. A privilege and honored to have Brett Johnson with us. He's a partner at the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, SWLaw.com, and he works uh, works out for us our constitutional election law uh, conundrums here. Brett, um, thanks for, again for being with us. I wanted to talk to you about the use of the RICO statute a little bit uh, for the audience, racketeer-influenced and corrupt organizations. I haven't looked at this stuff in a long time. There was a big debate in the 90s about whether RICO was being overused, particularly I think it was in federal RICO statutes. And I was reading through the Georgia Code on this just to give people a little bit of a sense of what they define as racketeering activity in Georgia. You were right. I mean, the things you were saying, in order of how they define it, unlawful distillation of alcoholic beverages, uh, records and reports of currency transactions in violation of the Constitution, homicide, assault and battery, kidnapping, false imprisonment, prostitution, burglary, smash and grab burglary, arson and explosive— is RICO uh, a stretch here, or is it the creative? I mean, it's broad. I mean, I get that any criminal code can be read broadly, but is it eyebrow raising in any in any way, or is it uh, creative? It's creative in this context because it's dealing obviously with an election, and usually it's it's financial crimes. It is organized crimes, like we talked about yeah. before. Um, but in, in basically hindering, uh, it, it, it's a stretch because it just hasn't been used this way. But yeah. I think from the plain reading of the law of how it's being applied inside the indictment, especially the impact that it would have had on Georgia state officials and being able to, to carry out their functions, then she's probably not going to have a problem that this is a proper RICO. Okay. And the other thing is that this county prosecutor, this is her wheelhouse, uh-huh. right? I mean, uh-huh. she, she has done so many RICO cases um, about, you know, for, for a variety of different offenses. So the, she, she was waiting for something like this. Okay. Um, how strongly do you think the defense has a case in getting rid of certain charges that, to me at least, seem to just be violative of usual protected First Amendment activity, expressing opinions on these kinds of subjects as we see so much of? Yeah, and qu- quite a bit. I mean, we we would actually possibly even think about a, a strike or something because the, it's one thing as a special counsel did and appreciate federal law is completely different yeah. than, than state law. So I have to have that context. 
But in, in the special counsel's case, he basically told a story yep. and then had his counts as to what he, th- he thought the law was right. as to the story that was told. Right. The way that Georgia does it is that each act basically has to be in furtherance. And so this act was in furtherance of the conspiracy, right? Yeah. But, but when you, so when you do a motion to strike or some, or a motion to dismiss, at least a partial one, you would attack each of those different acts mm-hmm. and say, hey, this is not an appropriate act. Act mm. that can be in support of a RICO or, or a conspiracy charge. Most notably, you know, statements on Twitter um, or even public statements. Uh, so don't get me wrong, the way that they use this in, in um, organized crime cases is usually through wiretaps. And the person is on the other line and they're saying, go do X, Y, and Z. And so you have the linkage and then that person goes and does X, Y, and Z, which is a criminal act. And then the person who made the order is, is, is on the line. But this is in the political context and taking things that were public statements. You didn't need a wiretap. Right. All you had to do was turn on your Twitter. You right. have seen this <laughs> over right. and over again. Right. So it's, it, it, it's really, if, if she's right, and on her law, as in special counsel Smith, too, to a degree, mm-hmm. then we have a much bigger problem right. because um, being able to petition your governmental officials making those statements on Twitter, that would be considered a false statement. Yep. I mean, I don't know who's not looked at social media recently, right. but there's a lot of false statements yep. that are going on about a host of issues. Sure. Sure. And, and so it's a it's a slippery slope if, if if she were somehow correct on this. There's just there's just no way based off of First Amendment law that those statements, public statements, are going to be in furtherance of a conspiracy. Yeah, I, I think that's right. It takes us back to that Jonathan Turley line from about a week or two ago, right? That if what did he say? If I took a red pen through all the First Amendment protected activity, I'd be left with a haiku. But we are left with something more that that was on the Jack Smith thing. But we are left that's with right. something more here. I think my friend. Um, Occasional guest host here, John Hinderocker, blogs at Powerline. He was saying that he thinks, by his reading, there are two portions that have legitimacy. Um, The first relates to defendants gaining access to voting machines that may have been unauthorized, and the other has to do with uh, perjury and testimony before the grand jury. Which we don't know about the perjury, right? So we have there's a lot more facts that could be that one On, on on the election machines. If you just look at the pictures, yeah, um, and having been on the other side of, yeah. of reviewing, you know, opponents who are doing the same thing, we we would have been in court immediately saying that I cannot believe a political party um, had access to machines during an election cycle like right. that. Usually, there's barriers and stuff like that. So that's why actually an election official was charged on that one too. So that goes back to the whole RICO we talked yep. about earlier about going after the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. So. That's that's pretty much red-handed in the cookie jar if those pictures and the statements are correct. I did see the pictures and they didn't look good. Yeah. So from there, if you if you're able to, if the prosecutor is able to turn them yeah. and work, you know, the, up the chain, there might be something. So those are the good ones. The other ones, though, I'll be honest with you. I think that the the uh, um, the certifications by the alternative electors. Right is going to be one that is, is to watch because that is an act yep. and you put it in the in the stream of commerce, let's yep. call it that, yep. to get to a government official. Yep. So that one might have some legs too. Mm-hmm. But the other ones, uh, Rudy Giuliani appearing in front of a hearing, all of the things we saw talked about Twitter and the public statements, including, you know, the, the spe- uh, public speech, those those by themselves are just going to be extremely difficult um, to, to get past a, a judge, uh, let alone um, a jury. 
is there a is generally with RICO? Do you have to knowingly be engaged in unlawful activity, Brett? Is there a knowing requirement, or is it just assumed and presumed by the activity? It, it, it's presumed, but there is a knowledge element of that you're knowingly t- taking knowingly that act. Doing that, yeah. But, yeah. but here's where the whole RICO thing came in because of uh, the organized organized crime. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to be after. Is, is that the person on top might know everything, but the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Yeah, yeah. And by through RICO, you're able to make that link between the right hand and the left hand. So the left hand does not need to know what the, uh, the right hand is doing to be, uh, to be liable. That's so interesting. Okay, that's great. And then one last just quick question. If a lot of these, if, if, if a lot of these uh, charges are thrown out, do... Indictees have recourse. Do they ever have recourse, or is it not? Is that a? Con- it, it, it's 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 called malicious prosecution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also criminal, right? Yeah. So, if a prosecutor abuses their, yeah. but that's a different issue, and okay. usually done by the Attorney General, or the Department of Justice. Okay. Uh, malicious prosecution, very very hard, yeah. a clear and convincing standard in most jurisdictions. Yeah. Um, and then so long, and in, in, in what she did is, is she got a grand jury. Yeah, that judge I mean that's, that that kind of is a prophylactic, problem. isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Brett Johnson, you're the best, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming a day early. We needed you. Appreciate you. Okay. You bet. Brett Johnson from Snell & Wilmer, SWLaw.com. Not a sponsor, just damn good attorneys. We love having them. Thank you. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. You think about the economy, you think about bank failures and stock market volatility, you think about the inflation we're all going through, you think about the speculation of a recession still on the horizon. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated, not tied to, not based on any of that, not the stock market, not the Federal Reserve? Why Refi has that? It's a portfolio. It's an investment in a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time in this secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. Lance in Phoenix, how are you, Lance? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Good. Well, hey, I wanted to call in and uh, talk about uh, our good friend Tony Fauci. And uh, just, you know, speaking of uh, malicious, or I I would say not malicious, uh, criminal prosecution of him, um, you know, my understanding of involuntary manslaughter is whether you intentionally or unintentionally were uh, related to killing people, um, which I would think Fauci, with his funding of gain-of-function and in the cover-up of gain-of-function in the Wuhan lab and all that that we're very much aware of, why, wouldn't, why isn't some district attorney or state attorney general prosecute him for, you know, say Montana, our good friends of the North, you know, why doesn't the attorney general prosecute Tony Fauci for, say, you know, the 1,897 COVID-related deaths of, in charging with involuntary manslaughter, plus, you know, said number of conspiracy to cover up said involuntary manslaughter charges? Uh, so, you know, you got conspiracy, you got cover up, 
you got obstruction of justice, you have destruction of evidence. I mean, why wouldn't some attorney general be able to go after him with a state uh, with a state claim? Uh, Well, I think there's a general immunity for someone in his position so long as he can defend it as being acting within the scope of his official duties. But I do think you're on to something, Lance, when it comes to uh, why Congress can't start investigating perjury. Uh, lying to Congress statutes. Those would, I think, be much more easy to prosecute, um, both at the House and at the Senate. Uh, House, because we have a majority for now. That's probably where you're going to, if you're going to get Fauci, that's probably where you're going to get him. I think Senator Rand Paul has a lot of the goods on this. It reminds me, Adelaide Stevenson running for president, some came up to him and once said, all the smart people are behind you. And you know what he said, young Mr. David? He said, that may be, but I need a majority. Um, So Rand Paul needs a majority to get it done there. The House could do it. I bet they have enough, Lance. I bet they have enough. I'm Seth, and we'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.